SHIELD's International Peacekeeping Agency has located the mysterious Tesseract device and the Army's super soldier, Captain America. The Tesseract is actually a gateway to an entirely new world called Asgard. A mysterious being known as Loki arrives on Earth and immediately assumes that he can rule all human beings. As Loki escapes with the Tesseract, director Nick Fury believes this is an act of war against Earth. His only hope is to assemble an actual team of superheroes. Dr. Bruce Banner, who turns into an enormous green rage monster known as the Hulk, Tony Stark in his venerable Iron Man armor, Captain America, the Stark Enterprises created super soldier, Thor, the God of Thunder, protector of Earth and his home planet of Asgard, and Loki's brother, and master assassins, Hawkeye and Natasha Romanoff, aka Black Widow. Together they will become a team to take on an attack that will call them to become the greatest of all time. Ciao my people and welcome to our 20th episode special of Happiness and Darkness, the superhero movie podcast where we cover superhero movies from Marvel, DC, Dark Horse, Image and more. If it came from a comic and had a theatrical release, you know we'll discuss it. I'm one of your co-hosts, DJ Nick, and today we'll be tackling The Avengers. And with me today to take on this first Marvel team-up movie are four fantastic co-hosts, so let's count them down. First off, we have uh, Charles Skaggs, the, uh, one of the co-hosts of the Next Stop Everywhere, the Doctor Who podcast, Titan Talk, Ghostwood, the Twin Peaks podcast, and also great blogger for Damn Good Coffee and Hot. Hey, Charles, how you doing? I'm doing fantastic, Nick. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. Thanks, Charles. It's wonderful to have you. And of course, yes, thank you of- so much. Yeah. I was just going to say, thank you so much for having me here. Oh, the pleasure is certainly ours. And speaking, of course, of co-hosts, and I know one of, and of course, your co-host par excellence is, of course, Jesse Jackson, also, of course, the co-host on Next Stop Everywhere, Titan Talk, and, of course, his own podcast, Set Lost in Bruce, the Bruce Springsteen podcast. Hey, Jesse, how are you doing? I am great. Thrilled to be here, ready to talk a little Avengers. This should be a lot of fun. I'm sure it certainly will be. And of course, added to this this dynamic deal, we have John Takas, who our listeners have already met, met the man behind the Ohio Type 40. Hey, John, how are you doing? Doing good. Thanks for having me on. Oh, we're very, very happy to have you with us, John. And finally, but certainly not least, Mr. Kelly Pippin, the voice from the band Something Like Yesterday and also the host of the Veterans Forum. Hey, Kelly, how are you doing? Doing good. Glad to be here. In good company. <laughs> yes, indeed, you're in, in very good company for sure. Well, guys, as of course, you know, as Jesse himself touched up on, today we are reviewing The Avengers from 2012, directed by Joss Whedon, who is, of course, the creator of Buffy, Angel, Firefly, and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and he, of course, directed or partly directed Justice League and also Avengers Age of Ultron. It stars Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark, a.k.a. Iron Man, Chris Evans as Steve Rogers, Captain America, Mark Ruffalo as Bruce Banner the Hulk, Chris Hemsworth as Thor, Scarlett Johansson as Natasha Romanoff, Black Widow, Jeremy Renner as Clint Barton, Hawkeye, Samuel L. Jackson as Nick Fury, and Tom Hiddleston as Loki. It was written by Joss Whedon and Zach Penn, who co-wrote X2, X-Men The Last Stand, Last Action Hero, The Incredible Hulk, and many more. The score, which is actually a beautiful score, was by Alan Silvestri, who also scored Back to the Future, Forrest Gump, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and tons, many more. And an estimate, guys, 
This film cost between 220 million, or roughly 220 million dollars, and it made 1.519 billion dollars at the box office. So saying it was a success is definitely a euphemism. So when it comes to you guys, when you, when this movie first came out back in 2012, did you guys actually get to go to the uh, the, the the theater to see it? Or, or did you wait for it to be released on DVD or on Blu-ray? Let's start with you, Charles. What were your thoughts, and when did you first see this film? Oh, uh, I definitely saw with my wife and I, uh, Lori, my wife Lori and I definitely saw that in the theater. Uh, we're not going to wait for this to come out on home video. This was this was a huge deal back in 2012. Um, you know, just it was it was so great to look forward to. You know, we had kind of like the individual films with. Iron Man, Thor, Captain America, and uh, um, all the various other characters introduced, like Nick Fury, Hawkeye, Black Widow, and the Hulk. And so uh, this was this was just something I was definitely looking forward to. I would only for sure. And what about you, Jesse? Did you get to see this as the theater, at the theater as well? Absolutely. Like everyone else, was excited uh, being a major Josh Whedon fan um, and just knowing that to see his take on the characters and the character moments and, and the dialogue, just very excited to, you know, high anticipation about seeing this. So absolutely. Um, you know, if I, if I remember correctly, opening weekend, I tend to do Sunday mornings because it's a little less quiet. I just stay spoiler free until then versus, you know, going on Friday night or trying to hit the crowd Saturday. All right. And what about you, John? Of course, we know you're the, the Iron Man fan in this group. I assume you also ran off to the theater as soon as it came out. Yeah, I actually took the day off from work so I could be there opening day. And uh, since I, I, I'm, I'm here in Ohio, a lot of the scenes were filmed in Cleveland. Most of the theaters were either sold out or they were jam packed. So, yeah, I was I was lucky enough to see it on the first day. Oh, wow. And, and what about you, Kelly? I know that, of course, you're also a huge Marvel fan. Were you also able to see this at the theater? Yeah, I was there at midnight when they opened the door. So um, went to the nice. first show and uh, I didn't want to leave after it was over. Those those are my heroes <laughs> up on the screen. I was I was there to, to be there. So, uh, well, I, I could definitely can't blame you guys for sure. And, uh, and when, when it came to me, you know, I'm kind of the exception, I guess, to the group as I actually end up having to wait for this to come out on home video because I refused to see films dubbed and I missed the, because we only have only mm. one week in Italy when they show the film in the original language. And unfortunately I missed that window. And so they only showed it in Italian. And so I said to myself, I'll have to patiently wait till it comes out. And all my friends did their very best to not spoil it for me. And I definitely appreciate them for doing that. So, yes, I was I had to patiently wait for it to uh, to get to home video. But I, it seems like, you know, you all, you know, should we say we all have almost shown our hands already that, you know, you have positive thoughts about this film. So let's get down to looking at this film more closely. Let's go. Let's go. Let's start off first with the newest arrival to the team, especially seeing as we have a different actor playing this character compared to his MCU solo movie, Mark Ruffalo as Dr. Bruce Banner, a.k.a. the Hulk. 
Our listeners might know him from being in films like Zodiac, Fox Catcher, The Kids Are All Right, and the amazing film Spotlight. So let's start with you, Jesse. When it comes to Mark Ruffalo and the Hulk, what did you think of this particular version? Were you a fan of uh, what had been done previously with Ed Norton, or were you happier with what Mark Ruffalo did? So I was a little unhappy that they didn't go with Norton. I, I, you know, this would be our third Hulk in our adult lifetime. You know, like that's that's too too many. Um, I, I once had a boss say that there there is no reason to have three Spider-Man, um, you know, um, reboots in our in one lifetime. Uh, so I was, and I I really like. Uh, Norton as an actor, so I thought he had done a good job, um, but you know was still sold. I'm I'm going to enjoy the show no matter what, and he did a great job. And he is now when I think of the Hulk is absolutely who I think of. Um, obviously, since he's played it in so many um, films, but yeah, I, I went in very quickly, liked what he did with the character, the whole idea of this this quiet anger. And sitting in there, um, yeah, I really thought he was good stuff, and uh, it was nice to see. Mm. And, and what about you, John? You know, of course, you, you and I have talked to Iron Man before. When it came to to Mark Ruffalo's Hulk, what were your thoughts on this on, on Mark Ruffalo and the Hulk? I really enjoyed him. I mean, I I grew up with Lou Ferrigno as the Hulk. Uh, so then, when the uh, when the Eric Bana movie came out. I was like, okay, it's uh, obviously it's a motion picture. You're not going to have Lou Ferrigno. He's getting older. Uh, but I liked Eric Bana. Uh, it confused a lot of people when the next Hulk movie came out with Edward Norton. And apparently Norton didn't want anything to do with the Avengers, so that's why they had to cast a different actor. And now he's kind of kicking himself in the butt. But I really, I really liked uh, uh, Mark Ruffalo's performance. I liked him in Zodiac, too. Uh, and he's really good I can't I can't see any other Hulk apart from him now. And the fact that they use Lou Ferrigno's voice with Mark Ruffalo's voice for the Hulk, I, I think that's just a great little nod to the past. Uh, well, that, that's beautiful for sure. What about you, Kelly? Were you a fan of this Hulk? Oh, absolutely. I I I, I think they they hit the I think they missed in the very first Hulk they made just a little bit. I think uh, one they picked a guy that was just I don't know he wasn't ready for it. And then, you know, you move into Norton, who's a classically trained actor. The guy's amazing, and he plays the part really well. Um, but the angst, I think, that Ruffalo brings to the part, just the all the time, just the, the, the feeling you get that he's always angry, it just, it always worked. And I just, I really enjoyed his portrayal of the Hulk and, and knowing that he's technically not on the screen, but he's still there, you know? Mm. And, and finally, when it comes to you, Charles, you know, I because yes. I know that you pretty much watch every single thing superhero related under the sun. So pretty, many- pretty much, pretty much. Are you saying <laughs> I have no life? Is that what you're trying to tell me? <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know, so I'm sure, obviously, like a lot, like you know, most of of our co-hosts here, you're also familiar with um, the Lou Ferrigno, Bill Bixby. Yes. Um, Ex- all- exactly. Yeah, exactly. Like every, like uh, you know, everybody else. Like I grew up with the Bill Bixby. Uh, Lou Ferrigno Hulk, uh, you know, I, I was all about the, you know, Mr. McGee, don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry from back in the day. And so, you know, when when the original, you know, the the Eric Bana movie uh, came out, 
Um, you know, I was a little disappointed by that one. I, especially after, you know, being such a fan of the director uh, from um, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, I was very let down by that. I I enjoyed Ed Norton as as Bruce Banner in The Incredible Hulk. I thought that was a better movie. Uh, that was a little more more on target. But I thought here with the Avengers, I thought, like Kelly said, I think this is where um, they finally figured out how to make the Hulk work on the big screen, and especially also making Bruce Banner work, which is also key to this. And Ruffalo, Mark Ruffalo, brings such a vulnerability to 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 Bruce. He's much more sympathetic. He's much more likable. Um, I love the dynamic with with Ruffalo and Robert Downey Jr. as science bros. Um, I, re- I thought that was great. They play so well off each other. And I'm sure that, you know, with Downey, um, having worked with Ruffalo before in Zodiac, like, like um, John mentioned, uh, one of my favorite films, because, hey, it's directed by David Fincher, one of my favorite directors, um, that, uh, you know, he knew... You know, he knew Ruffalo, he felt comfortable with him, and they already had kind of a chemistry going. So I, it was a very natural fit, and I, I thought that um, Ruffalo pulled it off uh, spectacularly. I, I will certainly agree with you. It seems like we were all, we all very much liked this Ruffalo, and even after my latest rewatch, knowing what I know, I do also sometimes wonder how the MCU would have changed had Ed Norton stayed in this role. And it would have been interesting to see him interact with the rest of the team. Granted, I also feel that Ruffalo is perfect for Bruce Banner. He's much more mild-mannered, like you were saying, Charles, than Norton's Banner. And I think it makes for a cool switch from the rage monster he turns into in the film. And it made me want to see almost a solo movie with him as the protagonist. And hopefully someday they'll give it to him. Um, also, I thought it was a clever choice, like, like we were mentioning, on casting him alongside Robert Downey Jr. I am also a huge fan of the film Zodiac. And in the scenes him and Robert had together, it just worked so well. And, you know, as fellow geeks, you know, he's one of the few that Tony Stark actually has respect for. And he doesn't look <laughs> down on at all. So certainly a great addition to the MCU. So we, we mentioned him. So let's look at him a little closer in this film. Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark, a.k.a. Iron Man. So I would I think we could start here with the Iron Man fan par excellence on this podcast, John Tacker. So, John, what did you think of uh, what uh, Tony did in this film and what Robert Downey Jr. brought to the table in this first team up film? I I really think they uh, they checked all the boxes with uh, with the dialogue that he had with all the other characters. Uh, you've got uh, I the first the first film was a was a, was a great origin story, and uh, having him not play well with others, according to uh, to Nick Fury, you kind of saw that a little bit in each uh, in each uh, iteration when they brought in new characters. I mean, he's he's obviously the smartest guy in the room, apart from when uh, when Banner's there, uh, and he even says he's like, you know, finally somebody that speaks my language, and it just I just I cracked up on uh, so many of his lines in this movie. It was just fantastic. Uh, certainly, and when it comes to you, Kelly, I mean, were you an Iron Man fan going into this film, or uh, or did you, should we say, warm up to the character in the team up? No, I've I've always had a soft spot for Iron Man. He's he's been in team ups with Spider Man and different people throughout the Marvel universe and and to be quite honest, he brought a lot of continuity to the to the entire movie. Um just bringing in, you know, all of his backstory and then falling into the Avengers here and and really just 
um, he was kind of the icing on the cake where you had Cap as the base, you know. Um, <laughs> he really just kind of put everything together. Yeah, he's the smartest guy in the room, but I think there's a lot of, you know, respect for every other piece person on that team simply because they've never let him down. So, and I think towards the end of the movie, that's what we see happening. But yeah, I think it's just a great continuity. I think it's just the way that he played the part, becoming a part of the team, even though he didn't want to, et cetera. You know, it just really, really worked. Oh, I, I, I can't but agree with you. And when it comes to you, Charles, I mean, I, you and I are often used to discussing DC heroes and DC characters. What right. are your thoughts on on the, on Robert Downey Jr.'s Iron Man and how and and what he did in this film? Well, you know, I I was a very casual Iron Man fan. You know, growing up, uh, I would get issues here and there, um, but it, it for me, it really didn't click until Warren Ellis's. Uh, run on Iron Man, and and I started kind of really getting to the character after that. And when when the first Iron Man movie came out, I know you and John have talked about this, but um, it uh, you know it, it 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 was such a game changer. You know, it set off the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And Downey, um, you know, with Iron Man two, you had the introduction of of Black Widow. So that kind of helped starting to build the Avengers, you know, along with Nick Fury. And um, it's here in this film that Downey really cements his role as the lead of the Avengers. You know, the leader, essentially, de facto leader. Um, Cap may be calling the strategic shots, but it's Downey who commands the room um, through just, you know, Tony Stark's own, you know, ego and his charisma and just his his just overall dominance uh, over the others because of, it, of his intellect combined with his ego. Um, he basically, you know, he demands the attention in the room. Every time he's on screen, all the eyes are on him. And um, Downey obviously is more than capable <laughs> of stepping up to the plate here. And um, he even goes through his own little... Um, uh, you know, character development because you know he starts off as, as Captain America says he's you know he's not the type to throw himself on the grenade and let the uh, to save the other guy to to advance the goal to advance the mission and it's here where he kind of steps up um, with you know taking that nuclear weapon and um, taking it toward um, you know through the the dimensional gateway to take out the Chitari and. Uh, almost killing himself in the process. So it's, it's, a, it's big character development for him. And Downey just did a fantastic job. <clears throat> well, that great commentary there for sure. Indeed. And, and I think he also ends up almost proving Captain America wrong when he says, you know, you'd never do anything for the team. You're always about yourself. And what about you, Jesse? Were you, you know, were you a, an Iron Man fan going into this film? Absolutely. You know, Iron Man kind of changed the way, we think of superhero films. Um, obviously, I will always have a soft spark for Christopher Reeves, the first Superman. You know, you will believe a man can fly. But I remember taking, it was my birthday, and um, Linda and Chris went to the movies with me, and then we went out afterwards to eat, and they both were talking about how much they enjoyed the movie. Um because it just seemed like a different kind of movie. Um, so Robert Downey Jr., amazing in this. What I thought 
when I rewatched the film is the symmetry kind of of him falling from the sky and you think he's going to sacrifice himself and then he makes it. Then we go to Endgame and you get the other like the other foot falling, you know, the shoe falling where this time he doesn't make it. Spoilers, people. So, yeah, I, I love what? seeing Iron Man. No, I love seeing Robert Downey Jr. I love how arrogant he is, um, how much of a jerk he is and how, um, you know, him and Banner click on the intellectual side. And he has disdain for everyone and then kind of slowly learns to respect what the other team members are bringing to the table. Well, very well said indeed. And yes, surprise, surprise, spoilers, Iron Man doesn't make it in Endgame, people. You heard it here for the first time on this podcast. And when it comes to me, you know, being one of the many who has loved Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man in his solo films, I was very curious to see how well he would play with the other Avengers, as seeing as by the character's own admission, he is not a team player. Though, once again, Robert Downey Jr. and the writers bring a very quippy, egocentric Tony Stark to the group. And I feel we can, of course, see how he has changed from the first time we had seen him in Iron Man. And that continuity is something I greatly appreciate. Though at the same time, we get some additions, i.e. the seeds are sown for his rivalry with Steve Rogers. And our own Captain America is pretty much happy to rise to the occasion and does not seem a big fan of Tony's compared to possibly how he felt about his dad, Howard. Well, there, of course, there was amorous interests involved, but that's another another situation. But all in all, you can't but love the guy's ego. And although I have admittedly pretty much always been team cap, and I've said this many times on this podcast, Tony does add that needed spice to the team. And if you notice, most of the bickering amongst the Avengers tends to start with him. He tends <laughs> to be the one who picks the fights and tends to be the one who's like, making the snarky comment and then boom, everybody's, you know, kind of getting into an argument. But speaking of the other side of the coin, as it were, you know, we looked at Team Iron Man, let's look at Team Cap. So Chris Evans as Captain America, whom we had met in his first solo film on this podcast. When it comes to you, Kelly, were you a Captain America fan or had you read the comics? And what do you think of how Chris Evans plays the Star Spangled Man with a plan? Well, nice. I've one. I've always been a Captain America fan. That's that's like, that's that goes without saying. He's the he's the answer to Superman from DC. I mean, he's the Boy Scout in Marvel. He is the always going to do the right thing guy. And I think Chris Evans showed that he was born to play that role from from the first Captain America film all the way into the Avengers. I think his willingness to sacrifice himself for his team and his country and everything else just that's who he is, and that's who he'll always be. And, you know, that the, the arguments between him and Tony, um, you know, Tony's always instigating those things with him, but Cap is not intellectually dumb. So Tony does, you know, start some things there that Cap is quick to rebut. And, you know, a lot of people put Cap in the, you know, the powerhouse side of the, instead of the intellect side, but he's got a lot of strategic knowledge and, the guy's not dumb. So I always enjoyed those little back and forth between the two of those guys. And, and Cap, I mean, what do you say? I mean, other than Spider-Man, he's probably one of my most, he's probably one of the, my favorite Marvel characters of all time. Just 
he is the glue that makes everything work when it comes to the Avengers. He always has been. And, um, I mean, you can see that in the comics through the movies. Um, he's the linchpin when it all comes down to it. He's the guy that it falls on and he's always there to catch it. And of course, I assume, you know, you obviously being a vet, obviously you would also, um, gravitate towards a character like that, I assume as well. Of course. I mean, you know, <laughs> we, he's like, uh, you know, I remember seeing him on the side of tanks when I was in the military or, you know, his symbol somewhere. You always saw something of Captain America somewhere when you were deployed. So, and, and yeah. And when it comes to you, Charles, you know, you being a huge fan of Superman, are you an equally big fan of Captain America? And what did you think of Chris Evans in this film? I, I am a huge fan of Captain America, especially in the Avengers movies and his solo movies. Uh, I've been a fan of Caps probably since uh, Mark Wade and Ron Garney's run on Captain America. And um, maybe not as long as obviously my, my fandom for Superman, but um, I really enjoy the character. I, I think that if, you know, Tony is essentially the brains or, you know, the attitude of the team of the Avengers, I'd say Captain America by far is the heart of the team. He's the one, um, like Kelly said, you know, he's the one that's going to be doing the right thing. Um, he's the most selfless member of the team. Um, he's the one that, that inspires others. And obviously that, that creates a lot of conflict with Tony Stark because, you know, just the, the diametric um, personalities. But, you know, it's that <coughs> dynamic, that little three, that, that iconic Avengers dynamic of Captain America, Iron Man, and Thor, that balance. And, and it's here, you know, in this movie that we really get to see that together for the first time, obviously, on screen. But it works so well. And Chris Evans, um, I know a lot of us were very skeptical once we heard that he was going to be the, you know, the first big screen Captain America, at least the first proper big screen Captain America. And after, you know, Fantastic Four, because we we're all like, well, he was a great Johnny Storm, the Human Torch, but how's he going to do, you know, as Captain America? And then once we saw <clears throat> Captain America, the first Avenger, um, you had to be sold after that movie. He was such a great performance. Um, Chris Evans embodies Cap. Uh, pure and simple. He gets Captain America. Um, he's, you know, he's he may be a man out of time, but um, you know, he's still like, you know, he's still the guy you want on your side. You know, if of anybody else, if any, if you had to pick any character in the Marvel universe that you needed there to 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 help you, I would go with Captain America personally. Uh, well, we, we definitely know whose side you're on then, Joe. Yes, I'm team, I'm team Cap, yes. <laughs> when it comes to you, Jesse, what, what are you, were your thoughts on, on Chris Evans as Captain America, and were you a fan of the character? I, I was a fan of the character. I've been a casual reader, you know, go in and out of the comics. I, I agree. I liked Wade's take on it. You know, not someone I consistently buy the book for, of, but always liked it and enjoyed the movies, especially uh, liked how the first one was a little bit different than you thought it was going to be. You know, him using, you know, as the propaganda and all that. But what I really love Chris Evans' role is, uh, first off, you got to love the line, 
you know, flying monkeys when he gets that culture reference. He goes, I get that one. I get that one. I understood um, that reference. Yeah. Um, but, you know, Tony calls him, you're not a hero, you're an experiment or something like that. And by the end of the movie, you see what he brought to the team in form of leadership and strategic ability and, you know, and in tactical thinking. Um, and, you know, you got to remember, you know, Steve has been through a war, a bad war. And so he's aware of this. And I love that depthness that Chris brings to the role. And as he continues, you know, both in the um, the individual films and then the later Avenger films, he just continues to grow as that character. And absolutely, he he feels like Captain America to us. It just that perfect kind of, as you guys mentioned, the Boy Scout, you know, um, you know, Roger Staubach, as you know, and as a cowboy fan, they used to call Roger Staubach Captain America. And, you know, it, he does have that good gosh, <laughs> let's, you know, whatever we need, ma'am. Ah, uh, well, great words for sure. And, that, and I love that, 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 should we say, that football reference as well. So when it comes to the Iron Man fan here, John, now I'm very interested to hear, what, yeah. what were your thoughts on Captain America? Were you on Tony's side kind of like, what does this guy want and stuff? Or, or were you a fan of Captain America's? Well, I, I've always been, uh, I mean, Iron Man's always been my, my go-to superhero, but I, I have a huge respect for Captain America. I don't think anybody that lives in this country shouldn't have any have respect for Captain America. Uh, it, uh, I didn't get a hold out of the comics when I was growing up uh, just because of like the budget that we had. I had certain books that I always went to. Uh, but, uh, for the, I, the one, the one thing that I really liked about this movie, especially with cap, I think the writers got it on this one because I, I, Jesse mentioned he's, he's a man out of time. You saw that in this film. I, he just didn't go from his, his first, his, uh, his origin movie to this one and didn't speak of anything like that. I, they, they brought it back numerous times. Uh, and just the, the the whole Boy Scout attitude and all that, that's been Captain America since the beginning. And that's, that's one of the things I respect about him. Uh, the one thing that I would have changed, though, if I could, I, if I had any kind of uh, power to do so, I think his, uh, his outfit towards the end of the movie, I loved his outfit in the first Avenger. I wish they would have had that darker look rather than the, the really bright blue costume that he had. But that's the only quibble I have about that. Agreed. Especially the mask. And and the thing with uh, and Chris Evans, he's another one of those actors where I can't see Captain America played by any other actor now. Just like uh, Robert Downey Jr. with Iron Man. It's very true. I mean, the guy is just he is just Captain America through and through. And I will, I will certainly agree with that. You know, and I had actually gravitated to him the moment I had seen him in Captain America, the first Avenger. And I think he, he was one of the better parts, as Charles was saying, the earlier Fantastic Four films. Here, of course, he plays a very different character compared to Johnny Storm. And he's very much the way you would expect Cap to be, as he pretty much instantly assumes captaincy of the team heart-wise, no pun intended. And aside from some jabs from Tony, it's interesting how willingly 
the other Avengers willingly accept him as their leader. I do very much see him as mostly as the Superman of the of the Avengers, as it were, as his moral values and always want to do the right thing. It very much coincides with the way su Superman would reason, as it were. And at the same time, I thought it was fun and endearing that you can clearly see he's still trying to catch up with things and doing his best to adapt. But fantastic uh, performance and a fantastic character for, for sure. So let's address the alien in the room, namely the God of Thunder, Thor, played, of course, by Crims Henworth. This is actually the first time we encounter him on this podcast as he's come a long way from starring on the soap opera Home and Away, but listeners might know him as being in Snow White and the Huntsman, Red Dawn, Heart of the Sea, and, of course, Ghostbusters. So when it comes <clears throat> to you, Charles, were you yes. a fan of The Mighty Thor? And what do you think of Chris Hemsworth? I've been a Thor fan ever since Walt Simonson's run. Um, Simonson would just pretty much um, took everything. He, he embraced Norse mythology and really made it come to life for me. So, um, you know, I, I followed Thor all the way, you know, through Straczynski's run, um, you know, and, uh, you know, just, you know, lately through Jason Aaron's run, which was fantastic as well. And, um, you know, just that. So Chris Hemsworth, you know, was cast. You know, wasn't very familiar with the actor. We knew that maybe, okay, he had worked uh, with Joss Whedon before in The Cabin in the Woods, but uh, really didn't know that much about him. And we had that first Thor movie, and, you know, it just, he he really brought that character to life, you know, because Thor is a kind of character that, um, depending on how you you portray him, he could come off as really kind of corny. At times, mm. because of the Norse mythology, uh, very unrelatable. But Hemsworth really kind of brings a, a you know a relatability to the character. Um, you know, he's the you know Thor is the guy that you want to go out and have a beer with, or in Thor's case, you know, a big you know flagon of mead. <laughs> yeah, I need uh, or you keg. know, or a keg. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, and then you go out and beat some trolls up afterward you know just for fun <laughs> um but uh, you know he so he's the you know he's the more he's the more outgoing um the you know the kind of almost like the you know the popular high school quarterback kind of 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 character uh member of the avengers you know he's he's the you know because he you know he's so you know <clears throat> you know charismatic and and you know and he's and he's essentially you know he's the god of thunder so um the other Avengers, you know, because of, of being, you know, mere mortals, a lot of them, you know, like in the form of Captain America and Black Widow and Bruce Banner when he's not the Hulk, um, you know, you're looking at Thor and, and you know, you, you're, you're not quite sure what to make of him or at least I'm, until, you know, they get to know him and, you know, that, uh, you know, they find him so likable. And uh, I think a lot of that is, is definitely credit to Hemsworth's um, on-screen charisma. And uh, and what he brings to the role, a nice little almost a self-deprecating um, approach to the character. Mm -hmm. Well, that, an interesting take indeed. And what about you, Jesse? Were you a, a fan of Chris Hemsworth's uh, Thor in this film? I, I was. I um, could remember reading a lot of Thor back in the day, mostly in collections back when, um, you know, Lee and Kirby were writing it. I remember a little bit of the Simonson 
um, you know, with he became a frog. This is the big one I remember. Frog, Beta Ray, yeah. you know, yeah. Yeah. Beta Ray yeah. Bill, yes. yeah. But um, it, with um, I, I, I'm a fanatic about Babylon 5 and JMS. So when, you know, when J. Michael Stravinsky started writing it, I had to get in there and and was very happy in the early Thor movies. There was that little bit of, um, you know, JMS actually did a cameo and there was a little bit of the his run was thrown in there. Um, I like the fact that Thor truly does carry himself as a god among men. Um, he is a little bit there. There's some arrogance to it. There's a little bit of unaware. I won't call it uh, being naive, but it's just not. He just because he's from another world. And um, I did love Cap's. Uh, you know, there's only one God, and it's you know, he's <laughs> not wearing a you know. And they don't uh, dress like that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the and. And I, I like, um, you know, I like the interaction with him and, and his, um, you know, truly some of the best lines where, you know, they're talking bad about Loki and he's like, that's my brother. And he mercy a lot of people. Well, he's adopted, you know, and <laughs> yes. so um, what's wrong with being adopted? <laughs> yes, it was. Um, I think the beauty of this is and kind of Whedon is able to bring them all together, each with their individual quirks and make them each shine in their own way. So yeah, uh, Thor and his arrogance and his kind of little bit above everyone makes, he does work that. And it's really cool to see, um, especially when we've seen the end of the story, you know, this is the very, you know, we're kind of going back and rewatch, you know, we're we're reading the first book of Harry Potter, knowing how everything's going to end, and it makes for a unique perspective. Very true indeed. I mean, I think it does, of course, give you a whole different take on knowing what we know now and going back to see it again. And what about you, John? Were you, um, you know, knowing also what you know and such, what did you think of, should we say, this first introduction of Thor as a member of the Avengers? I I enjoyed it. Uh, Chris Hemsworth he's uh, he, he's a good actor to start off with. And uh, when uh, I remember when the the Entertainment Weekly came out and they had like little snippets of what the costume was looking like, and then they showed him I think uh, a few pages on. It was like, geez, they got him they got him down pat. And uh, when uh, when the first movie came out, and it's not my favorite out of the Marvel universe, but uh, it's it's a good movie in its own. And they they brought that character to life, especially with the kind of dialogue that you would see or actually read in the comics. Uh, and then the fact that he's he's calling himself Earth's Earth's protector, and that that holds true in this movie too. I mean, it, as soon as that lightning comes down, you see you hear uh, Loki say, "Okay, well, I'm not I'm not too fond of what follows that." And uh, yeah, he, uh, he he proves himself. Uh, I love the fact that uh, he he does he he as as Cap is the moral compass. Yeah, Thor is, he's the arrogant one, but he can back it up. I mean, he's, he can throw the hammer down whenever he needs to, and he does. And uh, he's, got, he's got the power to do it. I mean, he just he proves himself time and time again. This is very true. And what about you, Kelly? Were you a fan of Goldilocks? 
Yes, I was. Um, I, like everybody said, I, the one thing that Thor brings is a certain arrogance, but he also brings a certain um, naivety to the to the group because he's not from Earth. Um, and there's a lot of things that he doesn't understand yet. He doesn't really comprehend. Um, and where Tony Stark will answer with wit, um, Thor answers with a BFH. And uh, that's, uh, <laughs> you know, that's the way he does things. Um, I think... And I'll be honest, in the first couple Thor movies, um, the first one was great when they introduced the character. I think they kind of missed the mark um, on the second one. Um, but bringing him into the Avengers, I think they did a really good job for um, a, a really good job of, of, of finding Thor because he is arrogant. He's always been arrogant in the comics. He always thinks himself above, you know, just like everybody said. And they bring that to this comic. And I think you know, as you know, the movies progress, Thor comes into more of his power, but I think, uh, you know, I believe, uh, you know, later in some of the other movies, when uh, Cap almost picks up the hammer, you know, you see the look of, okay, well, maybe I'm not the only person on the planet that, you know, uh, (laughs) I I might not be the only one who's worthy. Yeah. Right. And, uh, you know, it's all about, it's kind of a pureness of heart. And I think that's what Thor brings is almost an innocence. Um, and he loves the battle. That's the thing about him is point him in the direction, let him loose, and that's what he does. And that's what he's good at. And he knows he's good at that. Um, there are things he's not good at, but he knows he's good <clears throat> when it comes to So uh, that's that's his forte. And uh, I think they really did a good job on letting him battle in his own way through this whole movie. Oh, I, I, well, I, I love that, that, you know, the, the, the fact that you brought that up. And even I, uh, the fact that the solo Thor movies, because I must admit, it did take me a while to warm up to the Thor solo movies. But I love him as an Avenger. Also, I think it's fun that like Tony and Cap, you have a rivalry, though more possibly a friendly one between him and Hulk, which is started in this film. And I <laughs> suppose somewhat like Cap. Thor also at times has to adjust to the way, like you were saying, of the way Earth works compared to Asgard. Honestly, I think it was actually a good choice also on Whedon and Penn's part to not go with the original kind of Shakespearean style of Thor with the these and thous. Though you have to love the scene, I think, between Thor and Iron Man with, doth mother know you weareth her drapes? I thought that was kind of fun. (laughs) So that... That was what I think is somewhat of a wink, of course, to that. And the man is, of course, ripped as all outdoors and is as, as perfect as Thor as you could want. And a very friendly, also noble demeanor. And I think he also has his ego somewhat knocked down a few pegs as the movie progresses. Because, of course, we remember in the, she was saying, the, in the, when the first time we see him, he's kind of like very much more arrogant. But I think as he has time to adjust to being a, a team player, he does sort of adjust his ego as well. And so we get, gentlemen, to our favorite redhead and secret agent supreme, the beautiful Scarlett Johansson as Natasha Romanoff, a.k.a. Black Widow. Our listeners, of course, might know her for being in films like Lost in Translation, Girl with a Pearl Earring, Matchpoint, and many more. And also, she is a recording artist and has so far released two albums, a few songs of which I have actually listened to, and it's a nice form of alternative rock. I mean, she knows how the, the girl can carry a tune for sure. <laughs> but, but of course, we're looking at Scott Johansson here as an actress. So when it comes to you, Jesse, what did you think of uh, Scarlett Johansson as uh, Black Widow? So the first thing I want now is for you to join me on set lusting Bruce to discuss uh, Scarlett's <laughs> Scarlett Johansson uh, re- singing career. Yeah, yeah singing career. I, we got to make that happen. Um, 
big fan of the actress. Um, just, I, I think she's she is not only beautiful, but can really, really do a great scene. And I, I remember, uh, first off, I, I remember Black Widow from Daredevil comics. Um, you know, for the longest time, um, she was kind of, her and Daredevil had a thing going on. Yeah. This was way back in the, you know, 70s when I was reading. And and so I, I had a fond memory of her. And then when you get that scene of her, it looks like they're torturing her. Mm-hmm. And then when she gets the phone, she's like, I'm in the middle of work here. You know, <laughs> and just this, it, it you just like, I love this person. I love this character. And... <clears throat> Um, and you, even though you know that happened when she's talking to Loki and in the prison and he thinks he's in, you know, manipulating her, she's totally playing him. And then it's like, okay, got what we needed. Um, she (laughs) is, um, I am very much looking forward to her solo movie. Um, it is, there is a whole story there that, um, I would love to, I, I'm looking forward to knowing and seeing how the Marvel universe is going to show it. But, um, one side note, um, you mentioned in being in Ohio. So my wife had to go to Cleveland. Uh, that's where her former, she's now retired, but, uh, her, the company she worked for at the time was there and they were doing a conference and um, she's like, yeah, there was, they closed down part of the hotel. I guess they're filming something. And I was told Scarlett Johansson was there. It's like, what, what? (laughs) A small little movie was being filmed. Yes. Uh, So um, I was like, okay, I'm texting her pictures of Josh Whedon. If you see him, ask this man this. So yeah, she, she's amazing. Uh, well, I, I think the word amazing is definitely more than apt. When it comes to you, John, what did you think of our leading lady? Well, I loved her in uh, Iron Man 2 when they introduced her. Uh, as, soon as, as soon as I realized who that was, I was like, okay, this is, this, this is a great thing for, uh, for the MCU, and I can't wait to see, see her in the next few movies, uh, which when they brought her in this one, I mean, yeah, like Jesse said, I and mean, she's got two separate scenes where they everyone they, they think they have the upper hand on her and she's completely playing them and uh she turns around she's like, okay we have yeah got what we needed so thank you very much uh, but the fact that uh her and tony know each other uh, already i think that goes a long ways with the dialogue in the movie and you've got little uh i mean I, not even uh a unspoken dialogue I and mean, tony's saying something like uh uh the the old uh Oh, how does he say it? With the billionaire playboy genius philanthropist. And yes. you can see her. She's got the little head nod. She's like, yeah. That's, yeah, she doesn't he's got say that. Yeah. She's, got, she's got so many of those those little quirks about her in this movie. It's, it's just fantastic to watch. But I mean, I, I love her and as, as an actress. She's a fellow lefty, which is fantastic. One one day we'll, we'll rule the world one day. You never know. Uh, but You're yeah, she's... Flanders. Exactly. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I, I love her as Scarlet, as uh, Black Widow. Uh, and uh, I, like Jesse said, I cannot wait to see the solo film. 
I know it takes place between uh, Civil War and uh, Infinity War, so it's going to be nice to see what happened in between there. Well, so. there, there are definitely quite a few blanks for for us to fill when it comes to, of course, the Black Widow's story. And mm-hmm. what about you, Kelly? I know that you were a huge fan of, should we say, Wonder Woman in the in in the in the DC world. What were your thoughts on on Scarlett Johansson as a Black Widow in this film? Well, one of the things about the Marvel films that I've I've loved is um, the costuming that they do with these these women. It mm-hmm. is not what you would see in the comics. Um, if you guys have ever read, you know, Marvel comics, you know that most of the women are pretty scantily clad. I do like the fact that, you know, they put her in a full uniform. She still rocks it regardless of, you know, what's covered and what's not. Um, and I was kind of worried that, you know, because if you've ever seen the Scarlet Witch's outfit or you've seen, you know, She-Hulk, you know, you can just go down the list. You know, Marvel's got this thing for putting women in bathing suits. So, um, <laughs> And being well-endowed. <laughs> I was happy that in this movie they really they really paid attention to um, her and not just her physique. Um, she wasn't just window dressing here. She literally is, you know, Cap's the heart, Tony's the brains. She's probably the soul of the team. She's working behind the scenes all the time to make sure that everybody's where they need to be. She's either calming the Hulk, she's talking to Thor, she's advising Cap. You know, she's looking at Tony, telling him how stupid he is, you know, whatever the case may be. She's always that little thread that weaves through each and every one of those guys that pulls that team together. And um, like a web, maybe. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Read my mind. Um, But yeah, um, she really just did a lot of things in that movie that made everything come together because she's been with these characters and she hasn't had her solo film yet. And there's a lot of history behind the Black Widow. I mean, if you dig into the Marvel comics, I mean, you could make movie after movie just based on her, you know, her life and everything that's happened to her up until the Avengers and then afterwards. So there's just a lot of things there that uh, that she contributed. And picking Scarlett Johansson to play this part this was kind of a no-brainer. I mean, there really wasn't anybody else you were going to stick there. I mean, nobody else would have really played that part like... She did. And I mean, of the leading actresses that were in Hollywood at that time, I mean, you already got Gwyneth Paltrow playing Pepper Potts, so you can't, you know, so who are you going to put in the Black Widow? So, ta-da, you know, you got Scarlett Johansson. So, (laughs) but, you know, she's easy on the eyes and she can act. So, you know, hey. Exactly. Well, very, very well put. And what about you, Charles? You know, because once again, a big Wonder Woman supporter. Would you, did you enjoy Scarlett Johansson? Do you think that, you know, granted we also have now Captain Marvel as well, but do you think she could almost be the Wonder Woman of the MCU? I think she started out that way because, you know, she was the, she was the um, premier um, female superhero of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, at least until Captain Marvel showed on the scene. Um, you know, Marvel essentially right now, you know, that's that's they they're trying to promote Captain Marvel as their main female superhero. Uh, but but you know, obviously to this point, it's it's ScarJo as Black Widow because um, you know she introduced in Iron Man two, and you know for me she was the best thing about that movie. Um, you know, she just, you know, she was the character I was always interested in. Uh, I'm a huge espionage geek on top of everything else that I'm a geek of. And 
Um, so she's one of the characters like Cap that I, I most identify with in the Avengers. Um, you know, she, she's, she's the one that's, you know, analyzing everything going on. She's reading body language. She's reading, you know, just like, like Kelly said, she's the one that, that um, creates these bonds with each of the, the male Avengers. You know, she, you know, she's got that, um, that kind of uh, the off, you know, on and off romance with the Hulk, with Bruce Banner. Um, you know, she's she's a very close friend of Steve Rogers. Um, you know, she knows Tony from you know the Iron Man two, and um, you know, so it shows she kind of relates to to everybody, um, probably intentionally, so that you know that so that she can kind of get a feel for what's go- really going on with the group and then you know that as, as a spy um you know that's that's her skill set that's what she brings to the table so um so she's a much more um mysterious character she, you know you're you're not quite sure you know what her real motives are in a lot of ways um and that makes her more interesting because she's so enigmatic and you're not quite sure exactly what she's thinking at times um but but uh for me scarlett johansson um I was initially a little skeptical because I always kind of envisioned somebody at least a little taller than Scarlett Johansson. Um, maybe somebody like Emily Blunt, I thought would have been a great black widow, hmm, but, but, but you can't fault Scarlett Johansson's performance because, you know, she, she really brings everything to the role. Um, you know, she, she's given Natasha this kind of um, very dry Russian humor Um you know, you can be very, you know, sarcastic at times, also very sardonic at times. And, um, you know, she's she's the one that, you know, that she's essentially like the Batman of the group. You know, she's the one that's brooding over everything. Um, and that's probably because she is Russian. So that's that kind of comes with the territory. Right. Um, <laughs> it's very and, true. Yes. And but uh, yeah, just, you know, she's obviously very charismatic, like like, you know, Hemsworth and Robert Downey Jr. and the others. Um, and uh, I thought she did a fantastic job. Uh, well, I, I can't agree, and, and I love the, the Batman-Black Widow comparison for sure, and aside from obviously my superficial comments earlier saying that Scarlet looks great as a redhead, it's true, but I often try the exercise of imagining other actresses in that role, and honestly, I cannot see another actress play her, though I have to be honest. I, at first, I did question the fact that she did not have a Russian accent, but yes. at the same time, having been a huge fan of the TV show The Americans, I did also surmise that as a KGB agent, she would have learned to enunciate and speak perfect English. So I excuse, should we say, the writers for that, of course, Scarlett Johansson not trying to put on a Russian accent. Um, mm. She was great in this, and being in a team where the most part are either super-powered beings or have some crazy technology to aid them, she was, like you were saying, Charles, kind of like the Batman in all this, where she has to rely on her wits, her body, and excellent knowledge of weapons to be up to scratch with the other Avengers. Also, I like that she's treated as one of the boys, as she would probably rip your head off if one tried to be sassy. And two, I guess the other was recognize her skill set. And I love that all this stuff is kind of left unsaid. That like, you know, we know you're a woman and stuff, et cetera, but you're cool with us because we know that you are, you're a badass in your own right. And that does make you think that she could pretty much be killed more easily at every turn when dealing with world-threatening events. So you might expect her to go into battle 
in more than just what she's wearing. You know, I mean, she's wearing, of course, the tactical gear, but I think she'd be almost more kind of protected, bearing in mind that she doesn't have, you know, superpowers. But other than that, I absolutely loved her as, as Black Widow. And speaking actually of depowered people, let's complete the team with Natasha's best friend and actually <coughs> lover in the comics and the most skilled archer and marksman in the MCU, who would probably give Bullseye a run for his money, Jeremy Renner as Clint Barton, a.k.a. Hawkeye. Our listeners might know him from movies like SWAT, 28 Weeks Later, and the, the amazing film The Hurt Locker. Now, um, moving on here, when it comes to you, John, what did you think of Jeremy Renner as Hawkeye? I, I enjoyed his performance. I, uh, I, I, I was a huge fan of the, uh, the West Coast Avengers when that came out years ago, and he was a major player in that book. And uh, it just seemed like he... The, the character was more modeled after after that iteration of the character, so I really enjoyed it. And uh, for someone who doesn't have superpowers, but he's got he's got a super super skill set that and you can't touch him. He said if he says he's going to hit this, he hits it. Uh, there was a joke in one of the one of the movies where they said, "Okay, I thought you retired." He says, "Yeah, I was playing golf." He says, "Played eighteen, made 18. and yeah, <laughs> he, he doesn't he doesn't miss his shots. And uh, for somebody who uh, who doesn't have have superpowers, and he's got uh, he's got the skills to back up what he does have. So yeah, I was uh, I was really impressed with uh, with the way they brought him into the MCU. Um, I would I would love to have seen some of the uh, earlier adventures that he did have with uh, Natasha because I everybody wants to see what happened in Budapest. And, exactly, uh, <laughs> let's get to Budapest already. <laughs> exactly, I'm I'm hoping they have some some kind of flashbacks in the uh, the Black Widow movie to see that. But, uh, yeah, I mean... I, Secret cameo. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but he's he's also the family man, too. Uh, so it's like he's got... he's got I think he's got the most on the table in terms of uh, what can be lost in these in these battles. But, yeah, I really... I, I did enjoy him as, uh, as, as Hawkeye. Mm. And, and, you know, and speaking, actually, of marksmen and stuff, and, of course, going to our military man here, Kelly... What did you think of, of Jeremy Renner's Hawkeye? What, did you find him believable, even as, should we say, a member, should we say, of a special core and, and a man who is an expert marksman? I mean, if we're talking the Marvel Universe, yes. <laughs> totally, <laughs> uh, physically impossible, totally believable in the Marvel Universe, though. Um, that's The thing about Hawkeye that I love is he knows he's the underpowered guy in the group. Um, and he doesn't, that doesn't bother him. Um, he kind of, has that um, cat vibe, but a lot more heartache involved and a lot more on the line. And <clears throat> he's always willing to jump in there and do whatever's necessary to protect the people he loves and everything else. And it just, you know, it harkens back to I'll do what it takes, you know, and there's all those little one-liners he throws out. And if you remember, you get to see him originally in Thor. He, that's the, the first time you get to see him when he's when he's hanging up there in the basket, you know, trying to pull a shot off and he can't get a shot. And Nick Fury, you know, everybody's, you know, Agent Coulson's like, what do you mean you can't get a shot? You're Hawkeye, you know. Um, but, uh, you know, being like Natasha and having to be the, one of the humans of the Avengers and not really having that extra boost, you know, no super serum. I can't get angry and get green, you know, those kind of things. He holds his own. Um, because of his skill, because of his time practicing and his time, you know, his time in combat, things like that. And I think in this movie, 
you know, we see Tony later, you know, he has PTSD from this whole scenario in the Avengers. I think or the reason you don't see that in a lot of the other Avengers is because they've been where Tony hasn't. And I think Hawkeye understands. He knows what has to happen. He makes it happen. And he makes the shots. And he he doesn't back down. And it's just, yeah, when he runs out of arrows, it's, you know, beat him up with the bow. So, mm-hmm. and that's, you know, that harkens back to the original Hawkeye in the, in the comics. I mean, the guy never was a super-powered hero, and a lot of people didn't root for Hawkeye in the comics because he was just kind of an add-on, you know, or, you know, this kind of thing. And when he got his own run in the comics, it kind of changed the perspective um, of people and how they looked at him because here's a human doing the same thing that these superheroes are doing, and he's fighting for the same reasons, to save our planet, to save our people, that kind of thing. So I think, you know, them putting, you know, Jeremy Renner and his Hawkeye was just, it was an amazing run. I think he does a great job with it. Well, exactly. I mean, almost to say an every man's kind of guy in the Avengers. And when it right. comes to you, Charles, what did you think of, of Jeremy Renner as Hawkeye? And should we say this relationship that he has with Black Widow that we are introduced to in this film? Yeah, I thought that was a very compelling addition that Joss Whedon brought to the table uh, with the script. Um that uh, the you know that that history that you know that that off camera history that he has with Black Widow, um, you know because we knew Black Widow but we didn't really know Hawkeye all that much. You know we saw, got to see him in the cameo in Thor, and that was really kind of about it. And so um, you know and, and when this movie starts off, he ends up mind controlled for the first third of the movie, the first act of the movie. So um, so when you find out that he and, and Natasha have that history. Um, I think it helps make the audience have a connection to Hawkeye through Black Widow, and um, as a result, it's a lot. It makes it a lot easier because, well, if Black Widow likes him, he, I guess he can't be that bad after all, and uh, it makes it easier for the audience to appreciate him as a character, as one of the as one of the Avengers. I think, um, you know, Jeremy Renner does a solid job he was you know his version of his take on hawkeye is probably the one that i have the most uh the hardest time reconciling with the the marvel comics version of the character because he seems like of all the avengers he's the one that's that that's removed from his source material the most to me you know like um you know in the comics Hawkeye was an initially, you know, as a member of the Avengers, he was the hothead that butted head with Captain America a lot um, until he finally kind of proved himself as the leader of the West Coast Avengers, like John said. Uh, And then, uh, you know, in recent, you know, in recent years with the, um, you know, the Matt Fraction, David Aja, uh, terrific Hawkeye series. He became a mentor to to the Kate Bishop Hawkeye so um, you don't really see a lot of that here. Um, Renders Hawkeye, it seems like a much more you know emotionally detached um, at first. Um, you know that he's kind of he, he's kind of almost guarded a little bit from the others. Uh, he doesn't really let his hair down with the others. Um, you know, it's it's only really Natasha that he that he really has that connection to. But when it comes time to step up. Uh, to fight the Chitori invasion, um, he's right there and throws himself right into it. And then, you know, when you have 
other characters reacting to him, like Iron Man seeing Hawkeye and making, you know, the joke of, you know, the calling him Legolas and stuff yeah. like that. You, you know, it it, 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 it kind of endears you a little bit um, to, uh, to the character. And, you know, and, you know, and they had, he had some great action sequences like, um, you know, like the one, the one scene where, uh, he's down to you know his last arrow, and he uses it, and then he takes his arrow back, puts it back in his quiver, and jumps backwards off the top of a roof, and uses shoots a grappling hook because we find that it's a grappling hook arrow, and swings you know through a window, and just you know just it was a phenomenal action sequence, and I thought Renner did it perfectly. Uh, well, very, very well said. So I definitely, uh, it, it sounds like uh, you, you enjoyed the character, but, you know, you were a little bit upset about, should we say, the fact that it wasn't, you know, should we say, too... Not, um, not really upset, too... but it's just a little, it was just a little, it took some adjusting on mm. my part. And, and what about you, Jesse? Do you feel like the way Charles feels? I mean, were you familiar with uh, the character of Hawkeye in the comics? And, you know, and seeing him in the film, what do you think of Jeremy Renner playing him? Um, I... I just was vaguely familiar with Hawkeye. You know, I'm more of a DC guy. Um, I certainly, after the fact, um, discovered Matt Fraction and David Ara's um, Asia's series of trade paperbacks. I picked them up and loved them. And so I I have no strong opinions about the character whatsoever. Um, if, If there was any character that I felt just was kind of there to move the plot along. It was him, you know, like he's been mind control and now then, um, you know, Natasha is worried about him. So um, I, I, I'm not a, I don't have a lot of, Jeremy Renner has not done a lot of things that I've enjoyed. Not that I don't like him. I just, it's just it's not anything that's really impressed me so by far that would be if i had a me you know about (laughs) and and, and, you know an avenger i was waiting for the man exactly me too i was like when are we gonna get jesse's man in the film yeah Yeah, that would be my uh just um you know he's perfectly fine and and i think he's uh, he adds for part of the team but i just don't think he had that good of a a situation now later in other films they developed that and that you know seeing him as a family man and that was a lot added some depth to the character but just for this one too and they have a lot of people they're going to put in to the show so uh, it makes sense that you would have at least from my perspective someone where um more just um, not as big of a character. Well, I, 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 I see where you're coming from, for sure. And I was actually almost looking forward to the Jesse Mayer, because that's kind of like <laughs> a, a trademark, and I loved it. Um, but when it comes to me, yeah, I, I think seeing as he was almost typecast as being a military man or representative of law, I'm sure that helped get him the role. Granted, I will also... Uh, suggest to our listeners who have not seen this, if you are a fan of uh, fans of um, uh, crime thrillers, definitely go and see him portray Jeffrey Dahmer because he's chilling as all outdoors people. But compared to his comic counterpart, as even Charles was saying, uh, in the in the comics, he as as you were saying, Charles, he's actually almost a reluctant villain at first, 
and was right. taught to become an expert he, marksman. He's, he's kind of one of Iron Man's villains at, at first, yeah. like like Black Widow was. Exactly, yeah, because you know, he was taught, of course, by old school villain, Marvel villains, the swordsman and trick shots, whom he had right. missed the circus when he and his brother Barney had run away and joined. And here we have a straight-up military sniper, and though he has been classified as the least favorite Avenger and almost superfluous, I very much enjoyed him as seeing also his close friendship with Nat, and it was great to see him here. Though it is very improbable that um, that you will ever see any hint of, of uh, his and Nat's romantic past, uh, because notice the fact that she wears an arrow around her neck, so it always, almost makes you wonder, once again, we go back to Budapest, whether there had been something going on in Budapest. Because I, it makes me wonder when you hear Jerry Manor say, you and I remember Budapest very differently. <laughs> it makes me think there might have been something going on. But who knows? I guess we'll just have to wait and see what happens. But yes, I definitely enjoy Jerry, Jerry Runner as Hawkeye. So before we get into the big bad boys, I would say let's let's I would like to make some special mentions for two characters in particular, Samuel L. Jackson as Nick Fury and Clark Gregg as Agent Coulson. Um, when it comes to, to, to you, let's start with you, Kelly. What did you think of, uh, of Sam Jackson as Nick Fury and Clark Gregg as Agent Coulson? Were you a fan of, or are you a fan of the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. TV series? Um, yeah, I mean, I've, I've watched it off and on. I, I got to be honest, it's not a Marvel movie. I mean, it's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. It's on TV. It, it's good for what it is. Um, Agent Coulson is like probably one of my favorite characters um, throughout this stuff. Um, <clears throat> how they use him um, to spur the Avengers on later, you know, things like that. Um, you know, you kind of get this warm fuzzy for this guy. And, you know, and it's just always been there. You know, Samuel L. Jackson, Nick Fury, he's been in, I guess Nick Fury has made more appearances in Marvel movies than most of the Marvel characters put together. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, to be quite honest, you know, um, you know, in the comics, Nick Fury is a big driving force and, and watching Samuel L. Jackson um, and manipulate situations to get the results he wants. Um, and, and again, you know, we touched on this earlier. Natasha is the instrument of shield. So she's there to manipulate the situations for him when necessary. So, you know, it's one of those things that you, you look at and you go, okay, we've seen Nick Fury. Uh, he doesn't play hugest role in this movie, but, you know, he is there and um, he's kind of a Marvel. Um, he's the train. Everybody's sitting on the train. Nick Fury's always there driving through every one of them. Um, you know, and unfortunately, Stan Lee's gone because you always look forward to you always knew Stan Lee was going to be there. So but you can always count on Nick Fury being there. And that's that's one of the things. And, you know, in later films, he takes sides um, with Cap and, and some of the stuff that happens, which is surprising. So, um, you know, Samuel L. Jackson's played a great Nick Fury throughout the Marvel Universe, and I don't think it's going to stop anytime soon. So, and uh, I hope they bring Agent Coulson back at some point. Amen to to that for sure. And what about you, Charles? Are you a fan of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? And uh, what do you think of Clark Gregg and, uh, and Sam Jackson in these in this film? Yeah, I am a fan of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I've, you know, I've watched every episode um, I really enjoy the character, um, or at least, you know, until they killed him off and replaced him with a different Coulson. But, um, you know, he's been dead before, so, you know, I'm not going to I'm not going to say he's gone for good. That's for sure. Um, here, you know, Clark Gregg, 
you know, we'd seen him in little cameos in the Iron Man movies or, you know, like, you know, post credit scenes like in, in Thor or what have you. But, um, you know, it's here where we really kind of get to, to know <laughs> Coulson as a character. Wheaton, Joss Whedon obviously really enjoyed uh, writing Phil Coulson's dialogue. I mean, it's very Whedon-esque. Uh, if you've watched him, you know, watched his Buffy shows or his Angel shows, um, you can hear Whedon's voice come through in Coulson. And, of course, Whedon turns Coulson into, you know, the, the very Joss Whedon trope of, you know, that, that um, you know, the unexpected character death that, that, that acts as a game changer. And, um, you know, you kind of see, you don't really see it coming, but, you know, or like if you, you, you kind of wait for the Whedon character to get killed off. And, uh, unfortunately this time it was Coulson, but, you know, you know, the way he goes out and, um, you know, is, is, was very Coulson like, you know, with, with using that, that weapon, he wasn't quite sure what it did. And then, you know, when he fires it in his final act, uh, he's like, Oh, that's, that's what, what he does. does. That's what yeah. He does. So, but and Clark Gregg just delivers that, you know, because he because he has kind of a you know gives Coulson that dry humor, um, but but he but he also brings this kind of um, youthful uh, you, you know enthusiasm, you know that kind of like like his hero worship of Captain America, you know, and he talk he's geeking out over the trading cards that he's got. He's like, you know, it's a complete set. It took me like a couple of years, you know, like like, like a total fanboy. We would gush over and kind of like we're doing here on the podcast and um, you know, and, and how he just wants Captain America to have it signed. And then Nick Fury um, uses that to manipulate the other members, you know, just that he, he's using that. He's taking, you know, ever the master, the spy master, really um, he's using the, the, the tragic events of Coulson's death as a way to kind of bring the team together. And so, you know, there's that great moment where Nick Fury throws those bloody trading cards on the table. And, you know, that uh, supposedly, you know, he, he got out of Coulson's pocket when, in fact, they were in his locker, as we find out. Um, you know, that's pure Nick Fury right there, that, that manipulation. And um, Sam Jackson, uh, you know, you... Yeah, be very hard pressed, I think, to find somebody who doesn't enjoy Sam Jackson, um, especially, you know, ever since Pulp Fiction that really, really burst on the scene, you know, for movies like Jurassic Park or, you know, just um, Unbreakable, all kinds of things that just is a phenomenal actor, you know, and he's a comic book geek. So um, it's great to see him here. You know, Marvel created the the ultimate universe uh, Nick Fury based on him. So it was it made perfect sense, of course, to cast him as Nick Fury in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, and, and, you know, he he just brings so much to to the character. It makes Nick Fury his own, not just, you know, the 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 James Bond white guy from the 60s, you know, in, in the whole classic Jim Steranko comics. Um, you know, he, he brings makes Nick Fury his own. And, uh, you know, just the the two characters, you know, are just written so well. Uh, in this episode or this movie, and uh, I just really enjoy watching them. Every t- all they're on screen, even though Coulson gets killed off. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. We were all thinking, you know, is this the end of Agent Coulson? But no, nope, Agent nope. of S.H.I.E.L.D. happened, <laughs> um, which was wonderful. And what about you, Jesse? Uh, what did you think of, of Sam Jackson's Nick Fury and Clark Gregg as, a, as Agent Coulson? So uh, I think you guys have all said every, everything you need to say about Samuel Jackson. I mean, he's perfect in the role. Um, he's he he is so great. Um, I love seeing that character and and the way he interacts with everyone. Um, I've been a Clark Gregg fan since uh, Sports Night. He's at the very end of Sports Night. He's at the he plays a character that ends up buying the network that's owned, and he has the famous line: "Anyone who can't make money off Sports Night should get out of the money making business," which was a direct shot at ABC. Um, because they canceled it. Um, so I, I was a really fan of his. I loved how, um, you know, we got to see everything and, and the interaction. I loved the Pepper being friends with them and, you know, and all the discussion like, we can take the plane to Seattle. You shouldn't let this go. And uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I, I thought a great character. And I don't know if you're going to ask about it, but um, I, I, I want to ask if it's Joss or whoever, why did you think um, Kobe Smothers would be good in this role? Because up at this time, you know, she's mostly known for How I Met Your Mother. Yeah. Um, and, and so now then, you know, she was great in this. And then, um, and now then for my, if you aren't watching Stumptown, you should be. It's absolutely an amazing TV show. She's playing this character based on a comic book. So um, I, I think she was truly a surprise in the movie for me. And uh, so, yeah, I like all of the the S.H.I.E.L.D. support people. Mm. Well, you, you bring up a great point, uh, Jesse. There Galaga because... guy. What about Galaga guy? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. What about Galaga that guy? That man's playing Galaga. That man's playing Galaga. Exactly. Thought we wouldn't see it, <laughs> but yes, because the the issue is the consensus on this podcast so far is that we want Maria Hill to be the next director of Shield because we are definitely big fans of Kobe Smolders. Um, and I actually that that's a great segue to to John here. When it comes to you, John, what do you think mm -hmm. of Sam Jackson and Clark Gregg, and and at this point even Kobe Smolders as Maria Hill? Well, there, I can't say. A whole lot about Sam Jackson that hasn't already been said. Uh, I like the fact that even though he's the great manipulator, when he's trying to be manipulated by his superiors, he basically just tells them how it is. He says, "No, I'm I'm going to do it my way." And uh, even it's though a they stupid don't like ass it. decision, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but uh, he he does what he 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 does what he knows is is the right call, and that's what he does. He makes a lot of right calls. He might not do them like the like he might not make the best uh decision but he makes the decision I and mean, just uh to, to lie to the avengers to to bring them together it's probably not the best way to do it but guess what it happened and uh with uh colson uh from watching agents of shield i mean you've got two different colsons here you've got uh the employee and then you've got the supervisor and uh it's it's a, it's a little bit uh when you when you're watching him on the big screen in the uh, the movies, uh, it's just he's the the nice guy that will take the orders and get the job done. And then obviously in the uh, the TV series, he's the one giving the orders. And it's it's it seems almost like it's uh, 
I don't want to say two different characters, but two different aspects. Mm. And well, yes, Chloe Smothers, I mean, she's she's gorgeous, and I think she does a great job with the character. Exactly. Hashtag next uh, director for sure. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> so we get to the big bad of this film, Tom Hiddleston oh, as Loki. Our listeners, of course, might know him from Warhorse, Midnight in Paris, Crimson Peak. And I would say he plays an excellent, as a country music fan, he plays an excellent Hank Williams in the movie I Saw the Light. So Absolutely, then, I agree with that. Well, I, I'm very happy to hear you say that, Jesse. To you then, Jesse, what did you think of, of Tom Hiddleston as Loki? Yeah, he was perfect. Um, the arrogance, and then um, at the end... I'll take that drink now. Um, and and I like that we got a lot of character development with him through the many episodes that we're, you know, the many movies. So I think he's, it was a great villain for this first movie to fight. Uh, we, we had already established him because of the Thor movies. Um, he is a likable villain which makes sense because you know loki the god of mischief should be likable and he should be someone you you enjoy um seeing behave so i thought he was wonderful there's a lot of great moments he holds his own against all the cast um you know the robert downey jr and him discussion, you know, I have an army, we have a Hulk, you know, <laughs> and just some great dialogue between them. Just a great guy. And I, I agree with you. If you've not seen the film where he plays Hank Williams, um, do yourself a favor. That's a great film to watch. Uh, truly um, a, a story of a um, of just a genius in a totally different way. Well, amen to that indeed. And what about you, Charles? I mean, were you familiar with Tom Hiddleston before this film? Or what do you think of him as the god of mischief? I wasn't. I was familiar with him uh, first, obviously, because of the first Thor movie. Um, I thought he was fantastic. Loki is such a key uh, character in the Thor mythos. And so you had to have somebody that could really pull that that um, that that mischievous um, manipulative character off, and Hiddleston is is great at chewing the scenery. He's obviously he has a ball playing Loki, um, kind of like you know Robert Downey Jr. has a ball playing Tony Stark. So um, you know, just he really embodies the role, and um, you know, it makes perfect sense to have Loki as the villain of this first Avengers movie, considering in the comics Loki was the one who brought the Avengers together in the first place. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in Avengers number one by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. So it, uh, you know, it, make, it, it makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, it, the audience had already seen Loki and Thor. So, you know, you didn't have to spend all your time, you know, explaining who he is. The audience had already, you know, if everybody who had seen Thor knew who he was by now. So um, you could just jump more right into the action and kind of build upon that. You know, everything that's come before, um, which Avengers does so well building upon uh, the already introduced elements of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, you know, still in its infancy at this point. And, um, you know, just it's so much fun to watch him, especially in the scene, that iconic scene where Loki confronts the Hulk 
and the Hulk just grabs him and smashes, smash, smash, smash. Puny God. Yeah, puny God. And um, it was just the, one of the best scenes in the movie, hands down. Oh. Amen to that, indeed. And, and the like, Loki and Loki after afterward is just going. <gasps> you know, he's been trying to breathe. It was, yeah, was, was you, epic. You 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 gotta love that for sure. And it sounds like you? sound like me with my bronchitis. I swear. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and what about you, Kelly? I know that you know when we did our Justice League panel, you're not particularly a big fan of what Steppenwolf did when he was the big bad. What do you think about Loki as the big bad in the first Avengers film? Well, I one, I think it's a good choice because Loki is a great instigator. And before I get too far into this, I wanted to remind everybody because nobody brought it up. You realize that David Hasselhoff played the first Nick Fury. Yes. <laughs> so I think we're all in denial. We that we, we, exactly. We, we're all, we, <laughs> we, we we locked that out of our denial. memory. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, Kelly. Appreciate so, it. Now it's back um, there. Not out there for the listeners because a lot of people don't realize that David Hasselhoff completely butchered Nick Fury back in the 80s, but that's beside yep. the point. Anyway. No. <laughs> now we need well, to drink heavily to forget that all over again. <laughs> right. <laughs> so uh, you're welcome. You're very welcome. Um, <laughs> Thanks, Kelly. <laughs> Loki, um, Loki, you know, he's built through, like everybody said, he's been built up through all these movies. And you, you got to love to hate him. Um, and you got to hate him to love him because he does have some good intentions at some points in times in these films. And when it comes to the Avengers, Loki's manipulating the Avengers, but Loki's being manipulated by a much stronger force. And you, you have to, you know, the promises of power. Loki's always wanted to be his brother. He's always wanted to be the favorite. He's always wanted to be the guy that went and took care of things. And he's never been that. He's always been the trickster, the magician, and the, the illusionist, and all those kinds of things. Um, and I think that Loki himself misses the point of being Loki sometimes because he's always jealous of what Thor has and, and what these other people have. And I think he just wants to be in the spotlight. And I think in this movie, they really put that to the test, and he really, with the help of you know some uh, higher powers than him, you know he he you know has an army. He's going to take over the Earth. He's going to stop the Avengers. Um, and again, you know the scene with him and the Hulk is just probably I agree it's one of the most amazing scenes in the movie. <laughs> um, you know, um, so you know I feel like you know he's intellectual. He's not he's not the super powered, you know, hulking villain that Thanos is. So he's, he's, uh, you know, he's, uh, he's the intelligent side of, of that, you know, that kind of foray. And I feel like that he pulls that off rather well. Um, Tom Hiddleston does it without a hiccup, a catch in his throat, nothing. I mean, the arrogance, the walk through the scenes when he's moving, he, it just, everything about the character that he plays, the physical aspect of it, just screams that I'm the god of mischief, and it just it he just makes it work every time, and it's beautiful. Uh, very, very well said. And what about you, John? You know, what were your thoughts on Tom Hiddleston as Loki? Well, I was I was really glad to see that uh, he was the antagonist, like Charles said in Avengers number one. He was the he was the big bad in in their premiere issue, and he, even uh, he 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 wanted to make uh, the Hulk kind of look bad in front of everybody just to, to, for his own aims. So that's they took a little bit out of Avengers number one for this one, which I loved. Uh, Loki to me has always reminded me kind of a little bit about the uh, like the Master from Doctor Who, 
he comes up with these ingenious plans or or he's he's he has an ingenious plan that goes awry and then makes him look so bad and i know that it's, it's happened before in the comics um in the in this one it's I, th- I think where it went bad was in the invasion for me because uh, I mean, a- anyone who's a- anyone who's uh, worked in uh, retail restaurant work, they always have the poster. There's a difference between a boss and a leader. And uh, the, the I, I think he's the boss. He thinks he's the boss in here. He's not the leader. He's just he's just with the Chitari when they when they start coming out of the sky. So he's just uh, he, he's only part of the infantry as well. Uh, but, uh, I love Tom Hindleston in the role. Uh, I, I gotta echo Kelly on that. I think he does a great job as the God of mischief. And you can see that in the future films too. And he oh. just, just brings a lot to the role. <coughs> Very well said indeed. And I would say there's no surprise that Loki has become one of the most beloved MCU villains as Tom Hiddleston brings all his talent and charisma to this role, truly giving the character that, you know, he goes beyond his comic book counterpart. As I would say, he has truly owned this character. And I would go as far as saying that the Loki jersey should be retired once Tom Hiddleston is done with the role. As always, <laughs> that, that is how much he and the God of Mischief have blended. He is a great villain to Thor and a perfect one for the Avengers outing. Just like as we were, you know, a lot of you have touched up on the very first comic book issue, which came out 57 years ago in yeah. 1963. Three. L- Loki has everything you would want from a cinematic villain. He has the style, he has the twisted sense of humor, he's ingenious, no qualms of stooping to the lowest common denominator to get his way. And of course, he can also be very cold and brutal at the same time. And all this without for once being completely loopy. Because, you know, you might say, ah, you know, you're doing this thing, but you're totally crazy. But Loki is not crazy. He's just incredibly ingenious. So I would definitely say MCU, give us more villains like Loki, please. So any final thoughts on the movie, gentlemen, before we move forward? The floor is open. Nope. I think we pretty much covered everything. Okay. Okay, so let's get to ratings. Where does this movie rate for you on a scale of one to ten? Let's start with you, Charles. Uh, 10 solid 10 for me. I really enjoy this first Avengers movie. It's, it's, uh, you know, just, it, it encapsulated everything I wanted to see with that, you know, with the Marvel cinematic universe, it fulfilled the potential and really set the tone for, for everything that followed afterwards. So 10 out of 10, um, uh, Avenger towers. Okay, great. For me. <laughs> Not Stark about- Towers, because remember, the Stark name got knocked off that tower, mm-hmm. just the A. So Avenger how- Towers. How how convenient. Um, yes. and, uh, when, when it comes to you, Jesse, what, what, what are you going to rate this film? You know, I, I'm right there with you. I, I This was just, it. when I watched it yesterday, it, it held up. It's still awesome. It, there's so much goodness in it. Um, and there was so much expectation for this. And when, when you have that much expectation, it is hard not to be disappointed. And, you know, they just, they stuck the landing and they say, so I'm going to give it 10 out of 10 
shawarma sandwiches. <laughs> I have to still sample shawarma someday, so I have to get myself because I it seems like it's really really good. So I have to get myself there there someday to taste that. What about what about you, John? What are you going to give this film? Uh, I I I gotta go ten out of ten as well. This one was uh, I just going back now. Just the dialogue hits the mark every single time. I mean, just the, I mean, when you've got that many characters in a movie, it's so hard to get the dialogue right and to give everyone their fair shot. They did it perfectly in this one. I mean, I, one of my favorite scenes, I, uh, as soon as they're going to uh, retrieve Loki from uh, when Thor grabs him, Tony's getting ready to jump out and Cap says, says Tony, stop. We need a plan, a plan of attack. He says, I have a plan, attack. And then he just <laughs> jumps out. I love, even now, I still love that scene. Uh, but, uh, yeah, for me, it's easily, I'm going to say 10 out of 10 Chitari space slugs. Nice. Mm. And what about you, Kelly? What, what, what are you going to give this film? Well, I mean, it's a 10 out of 10. I mean, Marvel spent a lot of time building us to this point and when they dropped it, they did not disappoint. They, they really covered the bases. The writing was excellent. The, the music throughout the movie just pushes you through the movie. Um, it really, when you see them to come together and you hear that theme, you know what's going to happen. I mean, it's just, it's an amazing feeling when you're sitting there in a theater or even when you're watching it at home now to watch that all come together. And you're really rooting for everybody in the film, not just the good guys, but the bad guys. And it just, it all came together in such a, a beautiful way. And um, I, you know, I always worried about this because, you know, Marvel has not had the greatest history of you know, back in the 70s and 80s of putting out the greatest content when it came to film and TV. And, uh, but <laughs> this really um, just, it's finally where it should be. And I think part of that's due to the technology we have now. We, we can make these superheroes come to life on the screen now versus years ago when we had Captain America films and Spider-Man TV serials. And yeah, so <laughs> um, I, I'll give it 10 out of 10 Black Widow shocks. So uh, I, I love it. I think it's a great movie. And I, I think anybody that goes to see it would never be disappointed, even if you hadn't seen any of the movies before it. Uh, well, I think then I, I think, you know, it's a, it's a clean sweep because I'm also going to give this a 10 out of 10 as it's still a great time all around and was, of course, a milestone when it came to a superhero team up ensemble film. And it certainly had me at the time wanting more of Marvel's greatest superhero team to come together in more films. So let's get to reading recommendations, gentlemen. Did you have any stories you would like to suggest? I do. Yes. So many. <laughs> I was waiting for someone to go first. Go ahead, Charles. Okay. Uh, uh, I'll just, for the sake of time, because I know we've been at this 90 minutes already. Um, so I just really quickly, um, I recommend um, Steve Englehart and George Perez's uh, first run on the Avengers with the Serpent Crown from 1975-1976. Uh, from uh, the Avengers Volume 1, number 141, 144 through 147, 149. Uh, that was a great one uh, with, you know, the, uh, the, you know, the Serpent Crown, the S Squadron Supreme. Very fun story. Roger Stern and John Buscema um, with the Under Siege storyline, which was uh, a great story with the Masters of Evil uh, storming Avengers Mansion to get revenge against Captain America and the Avengers, and poor Jarvis gets beaten up really horribly, and uh, the stakes are raised big time. And this was a storyline from 19, 
um, let's see, like uh, from the late 80s um, in the Avengers Volume 1, and uh, also Kurt Busiek and George Perez again. Um, this time in the in the late 90s, early uh, 2000s, uh, I would recommend Ultron Unlimited, which was a storyline from uh, Avengers Volume 3, number 19 through 22, uh, where essentially Al Ultron gets himself a body of pure adamantium, uh-oh, and um, essentially recreates all the previous Ultrons. And uh, so basically you got a swarm of Ultrons, and uh, very cool. And uh, he completely obliterates an entire country, Eastern European country of Slovenia, kind of um, kind of where that was the inspiration for Avengers Age of Ultron a little bit. And then lastly, I want to recommend Jonathan Hickman's Avengers run, um, especially the story Infinity that he did, which, uh, of course, introduced the Black Order and, uh, you know, and, and Thanos and... Um, you know, it was a, obviously the inspiration for uh, Avengers Endgame. Oh, well, excellent, um, excellent recommendations for sure. Anybody else who had any other comic book recommendations for our listeners? Um, I've got a couple here, um, uh, and I'm going to go back a little farther. Um, the Kree Scroll War, Avengers Volume 1, um, number 89 through 97, um, released in 71, 72, and then Knights of Wondagor. Um, Avengers Volume 1, 181 through 187. That was in 79. Um, and if you haven't read it, um, this is kind of a newer one for me, and I just read it recently, was The Dark Avengers, number 1 through 6, and number 9 through 16. And that was released back in 2009, 2010. So. Well, well, some excellent uh, excellent recommendations for sure. I'm going to uh, suggest at this point, uh, you know, since you've been all in the 90s, I'm going to go in 19s, I'm going to go into 2000s with Disassembled from 2004 and 2005, written by Brian Michael Bendis and the art by David Finch. When Brian Michael Bendis actually started writing Avengers, he began by ripping the team apart. And this five-part story shocked readers with character deaths and would sow seeds for multiple other events that would then happen in the in the Marvel universe. So I would certainly suggest to check out Avengers Disassembled. It collects Avengers 500 to 503 and Avengers Finale. So guys, we selflessly promoted stories. Let's get to shameless self-promotion. When it comes to you and the great work that you do, where can you, we? Where can our fine listeners find you on the interwebs? Let's start with you, John. Oh, uh, myself. You can find me on Facebook. I don't do a whole lot of social media just because of my schedule. But uh, on Facebook, I'm in uh, John Takis in Maslin, Ohio. Uh, I also uh, run the Doctor Who group, the Ohio Type 40, on Facebook, and uh, we're one of the four largest Doctor Who groups in the state of Ohio. Uh, you can find us easily there. Uh, I also uh, do a Doctor Who uh, support group for type 2 diabetics called uh, Type 2 Doctor Who. Uh, we're getting some new uh, new members in there. And it's nice to be able to talk about our favorite time traveler and also talk about the struggles that we uh, go through on a daily basis with type 2 diabetes. Well, that's beautiful. And what about you, Kelly? Oh, gosh, I'm everywhere. Um <laughs> <laughs> You can find me uh, with Disgruntled Vets. You can find me on my page on Facebook on the Veterans Forum that I broadcast every Saturday from 11 to 1 Mountain Time. Um, you can catch my band, Something Like Yesterday, on Reverb Nation. You can also catch us out and about. Um, we'll be uh, bopping around this summer to different places. You'll get a chance to see us there. 
And uh, yeah, if you guys get a chance, go out and do something good for a vet. So, amen. To and, that. and thank you for your service, sir. Absolutely. Well, thank you. Yes, indeed. We said we we certainly thank you very very much indeed. And what about you, Charles? Where can our fine folks find you on the interwebs? Well, obviously, if you've listened to my podcast, you know the spiel. I'm at Charles Skaggs on Twitter, at Charles Skaggs on Instagram, Facebook, of course, Charles Skaggs in Hilliard, Ohio, and my blog, Geeky Things. Wait for it. Damn good coffee and hot. Damn good coffee and hot, where I talk about all the stuff that we kind of talk about here on Nick's podcast, uh, all kinds of kind of book sci-fi news, uh, news of my other podcast for the Southgate Media Group, of course, including... Uh, next stop everywhere, the Doctor Who podcast they do with that Jesse guy, the Phantom Zone podcast that I also do with that Jesse guy, um, and uh, Titan Talk, the Titans podcast that I do with that Jesse guy. You notice the theme here, and uh, we're, and then also uh, Ghost with the Twin Peaks podcast they don't do with Jesse. I'm still working on that, um, but I do that with Zan Sprouse, uh, wife of comic book artist Chris Sprouse, where we talk about all things Twin Peaks, David Lynch. Etc. Etc. Please check it out. <laughs> and speaking actually of that Jesse guy, Jesse, yes. where can where can our fine folks find you? Well, I am found on Twitter at Jesse Jackson DFW. Uh, you just heard Charles talk about the um, podcast we do together. Um, I am a type two diabetic, so I need to find out a little bit about that um, because I love Doctor Who and I'm wearing my insulin pump right now uh the you two crazy kids need to get together yes we do (laughs) Um, absolutely um and then i do do a music podcast um set lusting bruce it is a i talk to springsteen fans from around the world um and also other musicians fans of other musicians and so including a certain DJ Nick has been on the show. So we, I'd certainly appreciate you checking that. If you are passionate about a musician, reach out to me and I can have you on the show. Um, that's it. Awesome. Well, of course, if, if any of you listeners there want to come and join us here on the show to discuss a movie of your choice, feel free to shoot us an email at happinessanddarknesshow at gmail.com. Feel free to show your support by giving us a like on Facebook, where you'll find us at happy, as Happiness and Darkness. You can also follow us on Twitter, where we're at High Darkness Pod, or on Instagram under Hin Darkness. Also, if you'd like to support the podcast and are feeling generous, you can hit the donate button on soundcloud.com slash whiskey and cigarettes or become patrons of ours on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash happiness and darkness. We really appreciate that. Any donators will be able to pick the movie we next discuss, even pick one of the recurring co-hosts we discuss it with or come on the show themselves to discuss the movie of their choice. Also, as always, want to thank uh, our great video maker, David Moreno, the mind scientist behind all the great episode trailers you can find on our Facebook page. Be sure to subscribe to his Nostalgia channel on YouTube. The man does great work. That's Nostalgia Channel, all in capitals. And speaking of things to come, next week we'll be joined by Lee Leonard, who has chosen the 2005 Christopher Nolan film, Batman Begins. That said, when... That said, when it comes to the four of you guys, once again, I look forward to having you back with us here on Happiness and Darkness, and I certainly thank you all for joining me today. Had fun, Nick. Thanks for having us. Thank you. This was great. Yeah, appreciate My the invite. 
<clears throat> well, I definitely appreciated you guys. Well, folks, thanks as always for listening to the show and supporting us. We'll see you next week with Lee Leonard and Batman Begins. Until then, stay super. Ciao, my people.